Well, good morning once again. We are going to be in Ephesians again, and we're starting chapter 4, having uh, completed uh, chapter 3, the the last time that I spoke, which was, I believe, a month ago. Um, But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to start by reading uh, down through verse 12. I don't know if we will get that far uh, today or not, but at least uh, that's where we will uh, read to start with uh, in this account. So follow along, starting in verse 1 down through verse 12, and then we will ask God's blessing on this portion of his word. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, again, just a reminder, this is Paul writing this to the believers at Ephesus, and uh, Paul is identifying himself here in verse 1. Says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he is ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, again, as we look into, uh, continue on uh, this book, this letter that Paul had written to the Ephesian believers, we thank you that you saw fit to include this as a portion of your word, that we also may learn through what Paul had to share with the believers there at Ephesus. And Lord, uh, I do want to remember uh, Ethel's uh, great-granddaughter, Marisa. You are fully aware of the physical need. You're fully aware of the surgery that she just had and the seriousness of it. And I would pray that in your grace uh, that you might cause uh, this little girl to heal and that you will take care of this physical difficulty that she has. So again, I pray that you will minister as only you can, even there. In Jesus' name, amen. As we start here in chapter 4, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesus was the instruction that Paul was giving to the believers at Ephesus. Once again, um, he had received word by way of a messenger that the believers at Ephesus were not growing in their walk with the Lord. They were believers, 
uh, but they had kind of re- they had, were kind of remaining stagnant and not growing as God had wanted them to. In chapter three that we finished up, <clears throat> the last time I spoke, uh, Paul was uh, basically the entire chapter. Paul was reminding the Gentile again; these are Gentile believers there at Ephesus. He was reminding them that they were brothers and sisters with the Jewish believers as well. And in chapter 3, he's, he's, he's referring to it as a mystery. In verse 3, it says in chapter 3, if we went back there, how that he, by revelation, he made known unto them the mystery, as I wrote afore, in few words. And that mystery that we looked at the last couple of times I spoke <clears throat> is very simply Paul sharing with the Gentile believers that they were brothers and sisters along with the Jewish believers. Not the Jews because they were the chosen uh, nation of God, but with the Jews who truly had turned their hearts over to the Lord, accepted Jesus, those who were truly born again. And so Paul, throughout all of chapter 3, was just reminding them. And and my understanding, because he did do that, it seems that the uh, Gentile believers were having uh, difficulty accepting that they were brothers and sisters with the Jewish or the Israelite believers. And I believe that, in my mind, it seems that that is why he put so much um, emphasis in this letter on that mystery of being one in Christ uh, along with the Jewish nation. And so here in chapter 4, through the rest of the book of Ephesians, uh, he kind of of changes direction just a little bit, but he's looking at the practical way for them to handle this knowledge that they are brothers and sisters along with the Jewish believers. And uh, if we get down into verse um, 3, I'm going to back up a little bit, but verse 3, he's talking about keeping a unity of spirit. And so that's what he's emphasizing as he picks it up here in chapter 4, the importance of that unity together with Jewish believers as well. So here in chapter 4, he begins the practical part of the letter. Here he begins to enforce some of the practical duties of believers. Uh, There are four points throughout chapter 4, and I'm going to give you the four points. I know we're not going to get through them all. But there are four points that he brings out, uh, four points of exhortation in this chapter that Paul brings out. Point number 1, which is verses 1 through 6, an exhortation to unity. Uh, uh, point number two, verses seven through sixteen, an exhortation to be sound in faith and in unity of life and of doctrine. Uh, number three, he exhorts them not to live as the heathen around them lived, but to show that they were under a better influence, God's influence, and that in verse is in verses seventeen. Uh, through 24. And then number four, he exhorts them to perform particular Christian duties and to put away certain evils of which they of which they and all others were in danger of. And that's the last uh, verses 25 through 32. 
And I'm just going to list those evils. And again, we'll look at them, not this week, but the next time I speak, we may get to that. Um, He he has a list of these uh, evils um, that they and all others were in danger of. So in verse 25, he mentions that we need to avoid lying. Okay. Uh, In verse 26, he mentions that we need to avoid anger. All right. And my feeling is in each of these that we look at here um, that the believers at Ephesus were having some difficulty in these areas. And that's why he's emphasizing this to them. All right. Uh, Verse 28, need to avoid theft. Uh, Verse 29, uh, need to avoid corrupt or corrupting conversation. Verse 30, needs to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, they needed to avoid bitterness, evil speaking, and malice. And then in verse 32, they, need to, they needed to hold on to a spirit of kindness and forgiveness with each other. So that's the last section. Again, we're not going to get there uh, today. Well, let's go back to chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And I do have, if we get that far, I have three different books we're going to look at between this first and second um, Uh, message today and I don't know that we'll get to all three of them but I'm going to start off and again this is Rand Hummel has done a study some time ago on the book of Ephesians and I have quoted from him several different times as we've been going through this but Rand starting in chapter 4 with verse 1 Rand starts with three questions here and I want to just read those three questions uh, concerning unity and concerning walking worthy that we saw there in verse 1. And so these are the three questions. What does it mean for you to walk worthy of your calling? Question number two, in what specific ways can you grow in humility and meekness? And then the third question Rand asks here, in what specific ways can you grow in patience and love? All right, so therefore, Paul starts off with, I therefore, what's he referring to? He's referring to what he has taught them already in this letter in chapters 1 through 3. All right, so he's saying, therefore, from what I have just been teaching you, this is the way you can practically carry out what I've taught you in in chapters 1 through 3. All right, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, uh, here, um, therefore, and he says, with the teachings of chapters 1 through 3 in mind, since God has done so much for you, he says, I beseech you. Oh, what's another term we might put in for beseech? He says, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I am imploring you. Okay? Uh, so he, be- he begs, he pleads. As a child might beg and plead for something. Uh, this time of year, or more accurately, if you go back to December, or the first snowstorm, if you have young children uh, in this area, they might beg and plead to, it's snowing, it's snowing, it's snowing, can I go outside, okay? And sometimes a child will continue to beg and plead until they get what they want. Well, Paul's begging and pleading with the believers at Ephesus, I'm begging, I'm going to keep begging until I get what I want from you, all right? Which is Paul is saying, and what I'm trying to get from you is your obedience 
in following the Lord in a practical way. All right. So we think of a child that might beg and plead for something. And in a sense, that's what Paul is saying. I beseech you. What is he begging them to do? Walk worthy. Okay. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What's it mean to walk worthy? And very simply, conduct our lives. Paul says, I'm pleading with you to conduct your life, pattern your life after the life of Jesus, is what he's saying here. <clears throat> okay? So I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. All right, what is the vocation? I'm going to read another quote uh, from Rand here uh, concerning this. But a vocation, well, we could say is a call or an invitation to do something. A call or an invitation to do something. Okay? And um, Rand has a quote here. Uh, I mean, Rand has something I'm quoting here concerning that. He says, you can tell a lot about someone's age and even maturity by the way that they walk. Again, he's asking them to walk worthy, all right? He goes on, toddlers waddle and fall. Kids run and jump. Teens stand in small groups. Married couples walk side by side. The elderly walk slowly. Some of us are approaching that point in life, but anyway. Uh, spiritual maturity is, is expressed in much the same way. Paul used the word, uses the word walk eight times in this letter alone, 24 more times in his other letters, and reminds us that the way we walk on the outside reveals what we truly are on the inside. Again, referring to a spiritual walk. All right, so here in verse 1, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation. What is that vocation he's referring to? Very simply, uh, again, as we think of a vocation, I mentioned it's like an invitation or a call. The Lord, through Paul, has called the Ephesian believers to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. That's their vocation. Walk in the way that is pleasing uh, to the Lord. Um, if, if you were to receive an invitation to something, maybe a banquet, or you're going to receive an invitation to a wedding, depending on what that invitation is, determines how you should prepare for what you're going to go to. Now, um, <clears throat> I, I, I think Noah's going to invite most of us to his wedding, he and Rachel. And if I decided I was going to attend uh, their wedding in the way that I would prepare myself to go to work each day as a logger, Noah might not appreciate it. I mean, if I showed up at Noah and Rachel's wedding with a chainsaw and an axe in my hand, he might wonder what's happening, all right? So, you know, we need to prepare for the invitation. What kind of invitation is it? What are we preparing for? In the same way, if I showed up on my, well, I retired, but anyway, if I had showed up on the logging job in a coat and tie, Wade would give me a funny look, okay? And it would be dangerous because I'd get my tie wound around something and it'd be all done, all right? So this is what Paul is trying to drive home to them. 
All right? You're a Christian. You're a child of God. Your vocation is to serve him. You need to serve him in the way that he wants you to. All right? That's what he's trying to emphasize here to the believers there at Ephesus. Uh, you need to serve him in the way that he wants you to. Okay? <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit on the heart influences the mind to turn to God or to enter into his kingdom spiritually. What is the means of one's calling? What did God himself use to draw you unto himself? We're all called. The Spirit worked in our heart at some point and drew us to salvation. There are, however many are here, 15 people. Maybe God used 15 different methods to draw us to salvation. All right, I'm just going to throw out some. Um, perhaps God used the method of preaching to draw you to salvation. Perhaps he used a Sunday school lesson to draw you to salvation. Perhaps it was a Bible study. Perhaps it was a Bible tract that God used to draw you to salvation. Perhaps it was the witness of a friend that God used to draw you from salvation. Perhaps it was any what we might call an event of providence. Perhaps it was a physical health issue. Perhaps it was the death of a friend. God uses numerous ways through the Spirit of God to draw people unto himself and in numerous ways. Why? Because God knows what is going to work in our heart. God knows what's going to work in our heart to draw us unto himself. Um, When Ken and I met with Dave Tubbs a few weeks back, by the way, it's Dave that's going to be speaking next week, he, in our course of conversation with him, he was mentioning that um, he had worked for a, a, a line crew, all right? It's, 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 a, it's an independent line crew, not one of the electrical companies of the state, all right? But an independent line crew, and, and, and they would get called out uh, during storms or, or work had to be done when all of the regular employees of the company were already out and they needed more, all right? So Dave Tubbs had worked for this line crew uh, before he had moved away to New Jersey. And uh, when they returned just a few weeks back to New Hampshire, um, he also has gone back to work with that line crew. But he made a comment to us. He had endeavored, as he could, to witness to co-workers. Um, And one of the co-workers he had witnessed to he very simply had asked them this question. He said, do you know that you were going to heaven? Well, this coworker was watching Dave Tubbs like a hawk because he was trying to find somewhere where he would slip up and hurt his testimony. Okay, and, and in the course, I think Dave said they were working on a, a, on a substation together somewhere. And this co-worker thought he had heard Dave make some expression using the Lord's name in vain or whatever, but made some expression that was not worthy of a Christian. And he questioned him on it. Well, Dave had not thought what, had not said what he thought this guy thought he heard. And so Dave assured him, no, I did not say that. This is what I said. All right, long story short, Dave comes back after five years of living in New Jersey. He comes back. He goes back to work for this same company. This same gentleman is an employee in that company still. 
Shortly after he got back, shortly after he started to work for the company, he had an opportunity to communicate with this gentleman. And the response out of this man's heart and mouth was, I just want you to know, I'm a fellow believer now. Amazing. And what stuck in his mind was that question that Dave had asked him. Do you know that you're going to heaven? And God used that. He used that one question. Do you know that you're going to heaven over a period of time to work in this gentleman's heart and to draw him unto himself? All right, so what is Paul saying? Your testimony has to be such there are others that are walking, watching you like a hawk. Like this co-worker was watching Dave like a hawk. And he, all right, Paul is saying your testimony has to be such that you don't slip up, so to speak. Okay? And that's what he's trying to drive home uh, to them, uh, the, the believers there, in this, uh, in this beginning of this chapter 4. All right? And then he goes on in, in verses 2 and 3. Uh, verse two, verses two and three. Um, what kind? What has to be portrayed through us? All right. Verse two, he says, "With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love." Um, I, I, I keep getting ahead of myself in my notes, but anyway, um, I got to get caught up here. Uh, concerning, concerning being watched by the unsaved, all right? To live as Christ lived every day in all activities of our lives. That's what God is calling us to do. That's what Paul is telling the Ephesian believers that they need to do, okay? We need to walk worthy whether we are at work or whether we are at play. We need to walk worthy whether we are in private or whether we are in public. We need to walk worthy whether we are at home or whether we are on vacation. All right? We need to walk worthy no matter what. Okay? Uh, and that's what, that's what Paul is, again, is trying to drive home in this situation. All right? Number two, we need to do nothing inconsistent with our Christian character. And again, as I say every time, this is not anything new to us, but it's a reminder uh, that um, this is what God expects of us. All right, number three, we need to do right always to maintain a correct, a correct standard of morals. And then fourthly, we need to live as we should in expecting to soon be in heaven. All right, every day. We don't know. None of us know. When is God going to call us? Uh, the oldest person with us, Ethel, is 90 years old. When's God going to call her? She doesn't know. Okay? It could be tomorrow. It could be another 10 years. We don't know. The youngest person here is um, Dakota. And you would think, all right. By the way, he's double digits now, just in case you forgot. All right? You would think Dakota has, you know, at least another 60, 70, 80 years to live. Well, we don't know that. None of us know when God's going to call us, all right? So we need to all be living as we should and expecting to soon be in heaven, all right? Whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, whether it's next year, whenever it might be. And so, again, that's what Paul is driving home to the believers here at Ephesus uh, at this time. All right, so uh, in verse 2, with all lowliness. What is lowliness? Simply, it's humility, 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Okay? Uh, I'm sure you've all heard the, the, I actually call it an acronym for the word joy. All right? Where do you fit into the word joy? Jesus, others, and yourself. All right? It's thinking less of yourself. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, I've got several verses to look up. I'm not sure how many we'll get through. Um, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, I'm just, oh, verses 5 through 8. I want to jump over there and just read those um, briefly. All right, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was the perfect example of lowliness or the perfect example of humility. God, the creator of all things, uh, we know Jesus was present. Uh, we see that in the book of Genesis. But God, the creator of all things, humbled himself to become a human being and to go to that cross in order to save our souls. Jesus, though he was equal with God, emptied himself as a man and humbly died on a dehumanizing, torturous, cruel cross. Jesus is pleasing his heavenly father, in pleasing his heavenly father, that humbled himself to save wicked sinners like you and me. And uh, every one of us should have the attitude Paul had. We should consider ourselves the chiefest of sinners, okay? We should humble ourselves to that extent. Uh, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm the worst of the worst, uh, or whatever the case may be. And again, whether I get to it uh, this afternoon or not, I, I have a book. I'm just going to mention it. My, our daughter, Joanna, gave me this for Christmas. It's fascinating. Uh, it's called The Last of the Giants. It says, How Christ Came to the Lumberjacks. And this is back in the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 1900s. But there's several things I want to read out of that. It won't be this morning, possibly this afternoon. If I don't get to it, it'll be the next time I speak. But it's, a, it's just a fascinating book, how God used individuals to get uh, the gospel into the hearts of very, very rough group of men uh, throughout uh, the Midwest, Minnesota. But this, this book is centered in the Midwest area, North Midwest area. But just a fascinating, fascinating account how God used certain individuals and many, many, many souls were saved as a result of that. All right, so again... Jesus, in pleasing his heavenly Father, humbled himself to save wicked sinners like you and me. Uh, lowliness. The next word Paul mentions here is meekness, and with all lowliness and meekness. Uh, what does meekness mean? It simply means gentleness. Jesus has unlimited strength with limitless gentleness. Unlimited strength with limitless gentleness. I have three different verses I want to look at really quick. I've got them marked here in my Bible, so I can, I can do it quickly. The first one I want to look at is James 1 and verse 5. You don't have to bother to turn to those, but just uh, listen. James 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, 
and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Okay? Meekness, gentleness. Uh, Jesus with unlimited strength. Jesus has unlimited strength, and yet he has limitless gentleness. So he giveth liberally wisdom to all men. Matthew 11 and verse 28. Matthew 11 and verse 28. And it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All right, gentleness. We see Jesus here. Uh, the gentleness. Come and learn from Jesus. He doesn't drive it home, okay? Jesus simply taught. He shared the truth. There are some people that believe the way to share the gospel message is to drive it into you. I don't believe that's the method that God wants us to use. All right, one other. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Okay, if anybody had uh, a desire to be not gentle, it would have been Jesus to those who were whipping him to those who put the crown of thorns on his head, to those who hit him with the reed, uh, to those who drove the nails through his hands and feet, to, those, to that one who drove the spear in his side. Although when that time came, Jesus had already given up the ghost as a human being. All right? But Jesus was... Somebody, somebody asked a preacher once years and years ago, this was a joke, um, the preacher was preaching on the power of God and how strong and how powerful he was. And, and this agnostic, I think I'll call him in this joke, I came up to the preacher afterwards and said, that was an awful good sermon, but he says, I, I got one question for you. Can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? You know, he's trying to throw the pastor off. You know, God has unlimited strength. So, and he's unlimited powerful. Can he create a rock so big? And the, the preacher just kind of, it dumbfounded him. He had to think about that. But anyway, Jesus has unlimited strength and he has unlimited gentleness. That's what he wants us. He wants us to be that light that he wants us to be with a gentle spirit, okay? And our time is, is getting close. But let's go on. We'll finish up through this anyway, all right? Um, so Jesus let God deal with those who reviled him. He didn't do it himself. Receiving injury in a godly way. That's what God wants us to do. Uh, if we have people revile us, uh, um, spit in our face, so to speak, okay? Uh, praise God in this country, persecution of believers so far is not horrid. In other countries, it is horrid. Um, and, and so praise God. But you know, Jesus said, Lord, you handle that. He tells us the same thing. We need, to, we need to say to him, Lord, you handle that. All right, you handle that. All right, the next thing, long-suffering uh, there in, I could get back where I belong here. Long-suffering uh, there in verse 2, okay? Uh, with lowliness, with meekness, with long-suffering. All right, what is long-suffering? 
our common word today is patience. Patience. Uh, I know that I, I think we probably all, at times, in, in our day-to-day life, uh, have a little trouble with patience in some situations, okay? But Jesus was the picture of patience, if you want to look at it in that way, all right? Um, for example, how do we deal with each other's faults? As a husband and wife, you know, we have faults. I'd like to think my wife had all the faults. She likes to think I have all the faults. It doesn't work that way. We all, we each have, how do we as a husband and wife deal with each other's faults? All right? How do we as brothers and sisters in this congregation deal with each other's faults? All right? You all have them. Okay? We all have them. We're human. All right? Um, maybe I don't like the way one of you looks at me. That's a fault. Okay? <laughs> No, not really. Maybe you don't like the way I look at you. That's a fault, okay? We all have faults. How do we deal with them? All right, long-suffering. We need to be patient, okay? Uh, Waiting without whining uh, is is a term in one of the commentaries I read. Waiting without whining. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16, we see there, um, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I mentioned that earlier. This is Paul's attitude, of whom I am chief. Verse 16, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him in life everlasting. And then the last thing, and we'll stop with this, the last thing in that verse uh, in Ephesians, and I've lost my spot there now, uh, that we'll deal with. By the way, when when I do, um, again, whether it's today or whether it's it's later, um, next time I speak, um, in in, in this book, we'll look at a modern-day Paul. Um. I say modern day, I'm saying beginning of the 19th century. Well, into the, I mean the beginning of the 1900s. Um, and, and Paul the Apostle, he's even mentioned by, by the gentleman that led this man to the Lord. Okay, And I say that because the gentleman, one of the men that God used in a marvelous way to get the message into the lumber camps. Some of these lumber camps were so remote um, that only, and if you're not familiar with a lumber camp, years ago, I mean, literally camps were built up way out in the woods. Uh, you'd have a cook shack, you'd have the place where the men slept, uh, and so on. Um, and sometimes these men would be out there for months before they ever came back into town. All right, but God used a man who had an extremely wicked, wicked, wicked life got a hold of him, turned him around, just like Paul used him in a marvelous, marvelous way. I won't go any further with that. I, I find the book fascinating. It's, it's not too often I have a book I'm reading that I can't put down. This was one of them. Uh, just reading about how God used certain men. There's three different men mentioned in this book, but how God used certain men. And, and only God knows how many thousands of men were saved as a result of this but anyway we got to quit with that my time is gone but the last thing here uh, forbearing one another in love and and we'll pick it up with that uh, this afternoon and continue on all right so let's just close and i'll have ken come up uh, with the last song lord again
We thank you for the example that Jesus is to us. We thank you that you use Paul to encourage the Ephesian believers. Uh, Lord, in an area that was very, very vital in our walk uh, with you, uh, that no one can look at us, whether it be a co-worker, whether it be an unsafe family member, that no one can look at us and find an area where we have slipped up as a believer and uh, in our wanting to be a light and testimony to them. Lord, again, thank you that we could spend this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.